This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend as we join you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Indians in the midst of their longest homestand of the season so far to date as they are taking on the Kansas City Royals here this weekend. Oakland coming in Memorial Day Monday. The Athletics will be here for four games through Thursday afternoon. Coming up on this week's show, good show lined up for you today. We will visit with James Harris, the Indians Director of Player Development, have our weekly farm report. We'll take you inside one of the great collections of baseball memorabilia in the state of Ohio and the U.S. of A. as well as it's the second largest collection of baseball memorabilia outside of Cooperstown, talking about the Green Diamond Gallery just outside of Cincinnati. Also a big day here at Progressive Field on Saturday as the Indians honor Frank Robinson, the first African-American manager in Major League Baseball. He did it with the Tribe back in 1975, and he'll be honored with a statue unveiling on Saturday afternoon. Quite an event here at the ballpark, and we'll check in with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio and get the historical perspective on Frank Robinson's time here with Cleveland. So a lot to get to, and when we return, it's a look at the week gone by as we get rolling with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you this weekend from Progressive Field here in downtown Cleveland. Taking a look at the week gone by, and we started last Sunday in Houston. The Indians taking on the team with the best record in all of baseball, the Houston Astros. And the Tribe had already taken the first two games of that three-game series, and they would get it rolling quickly on Sunday afternoon with Jason Kipnis at the plate looking to extend what was already a one nothing lead. Now the pitch. Swung and ripped to deep right field. This ball is going to short hop the wall. Extra bases for Kipnis. Nope, he'll stop instead at first. In the store is Gomes. Zimmer gets to third. And Jason Kipnis continues with his clutch hitting. A two-out RBI single to right that sailed over the head of Reddick. Short hopped the wall. And Kipnis did not think about going for two. He settled for a long RBI single. 2-0 Indians. Kipnis now with 15 RBIs, and he's been on fire, hitting safely in all seven games that he has been the leadoff hitter. And now he's hitting 400 as the leadoff hitter. Indians still in front as they reach the third inning. Jan Gomes would continue just a tremendous stretch at the plate. The pitch. Swung out and hammered to deep left. Away, back, way out of here. Jan Gomes absolutely put a charge into that one. And a two-out, three-run rocket to left. And the Indians lead it 5-1. to one. And Gomes 
having a career game, a double, a homer, and four RBIs. Then in the fourth, it was Edwin Encarnacion coming up big. Tolliver sets and delivers. Swung on, ripped left side, base hit into left field. One run is in. Holding at third is Lindor. And Encarnacion plates a run with an RBI single to left. It is now 6-1 to one drive. Just a hot smash that eluded the third baseman Bregman. Made a diving attempt. And Encarnacion has run driven in number 17 on the season. Still in the fourth inning, Gomes would draw a bases-loaded walk that made it 7-1 to one Tribe, and that tied his career best for runs driven in in one ball game. Five RBIs for Gomes last Sunday. Then it was Bradley Zimmer, the rookie, capping off the scoring with an RBI single to extend the Indians' lead. The pitch to him, swung on, tapped slowly, right side, scooped up by Gonzalez, throw to first, safe at first base. One run is in, here comes another, no, he's thrown out at home plate as Chisenhall tried to catch them napping, but Bradley Zimmer with a hustle play to beat the throw at first base, and the Indians will get one run out of it. Zach McAllister was on in the ninth inning for the Indians, and although the Astros did hit a couple of home runs to make things close, the Tribe was able to hang on for an 8-6 win and a sweep of Houston. Here it comes. Swing and a miss. Ball game. So McAllister finishes it off, striking out Norio Oki, and the Indians have swept the Houston Astros and win the season series five games to one. Tribe victorious today, 8-6. to six. After the Houston series, it was on to Cincinnati, the annual Ohio Cup series with the Cincinnati Reds. And this season, that meant two games in Cincinnati, followed by two right here at Progressive Field. It started at Great American Ballpark on Monday night. The Reds came away with a 5-1 to one win. The Indians would turn things around on Tuesday in a hard-fought back-and-forth battle with the Reds. The Tribe took the early lead thanks to Francisco Lindor in the top half of the first inning. The pitch swung on and hammered to deep left and gone! And Frankie Lindor puts a charge into one right-handed. His team-high 10th home run of the year, three of them have come right-handed. And the Indians have the early one nothing lead. And that was a laser off the bat of Frankie Lindor into the lower deck in left, and it got out of here in the blink of an eye. In the second, the Reds had taken a 3-1 to one lead and were looking to add on to that lead. But Billy Hamilton, the fastest man in baseball, was trying to steal second, trying to challenge the arm of Jan Gomes. And as opposing base stealers have found out, that's not always the best idea. Now the 0-2, Hamilton's running, pitches high, Gomes, great throw, got him! Kipnis slapped the tag on Hamilton, he pops up, runs back to the dugout saying, no need to check that replay, I was out. Another perfect throw by Jan Gomes, who has now thrown out 11 of 20 base stealers. Off the charts is Jan Gomes in the caught stealing. Well, that proved to be a turning point for the Indians. They didn't wait long to strike back in the third inning. Michael Brantley came through. 
Three to one, Cincinnati leading the Indians. Third inning, one out, one on. Brantley rockets one to right field. It's a base hit. Down the line, it'll go all the way to the wall. Lindor's on his way to third, Brantley to second. Lindor's being waved home. Relay throw to the plate, the slide, not in time. He's in safely. Throw down to third by Mazzarocco, not in time. Brantley's in sliding safely, feet first. The Indians now trail it three to two. And then it was Carlos Santana to tie things up. Again, the payoff pitch. Swung on, light drive, base hit to left. Santana on pitch number 11. Whistles an RBI single to left. Brantley scores, and we've got a tie game at three. That is as good an at-bat as Carlos Santana has had in many a ball game. And Santana picks up RBI number 23. Also in the third inning, Edwin Encarnacion came up big. Edwin Encarnacion would like to haunt the ball club that traded him away to the Toronto Blue Jays. The set, the pitch. Swung out and driven. Deep left field. Away, way back. Gone to the second deck. Edwin Encarnacion. No doubt about it. Two-run bomb to the second deck in left. And it's a four-run Indians inning. And the Tribe with a 5-3 to three lead. And Edwin Encarnacion with his eighth home run, giving him 19 RBIs. Oh, did he put a charge into that baby? Two batters later, Jan Gomes joined in the home run derby. The pitch to Gomes. He swings. Hammers one. Deep center. It's gone. Jan Gomes with his fourth home run of the year. A majestic blast to center field. And Gomes has made it a five-run Indians inning. And the Indians now on top six to three. So the Indians have hit three home runs tonight. Two in this third inning. And Jan Gomes continues to have a sizzling month of May. Then in the fifth inning, it was Encarnacion striking again. Garrett right back into the windup, the payoff pitch. Swung on, and there's a high fly ball, deep left field, way back there, and it is a home run, Encarnacion. A two-homer game for the Tribe first baseman, and the Indians now lead it 7-3. to three. Number nine for Encarnacion. And maybe, just maybe, we are seeing the start of that expected hot stretch for Encarnacion. Meanwhile, Carlos Carrasco, after a shaky start, settled down. He had given up a couple of early runs, but he got through the sixth with a 7-3 to lead. Now the set, now the pitch. Swing and a miss. Split change. Got Alcantara. Carrasco... With his fifth strikeout. He might be getting stronger as the game goes on. He struck out the side here in the sixth. And the Indians lead the Reds 7-3, to three, going to the seventh. Now the Reds have had a good offensive ball club all season. And we saw that on Tuesday night down in Cincinnati as they would battle back to tie the game with four runs in the seventh inning. But it didn't take long for the Indians to retake the lead thanks to Edwin Encarnacion and his base running ability. Pitch bounces in, gets away from Mezzarocco. That allows the Indians to take the lead. A wild pitch scores Encarnacion from third, and the Indians lead 8-7. to seven. 
Oh, Drew Storn uncooked a wild, wild slider that bounced in, and Mezzarocco had no chance. He got part of his body on it, but it ricocheted away from him toward the backstop, and the Indians get a run. It's unearned, but they'll take it. So the Tribe was up 8-7, to seven, and again the Reds would come right back and threaten in the eighth inning, but this time it was defense that got the job done for the Indians, most notably right fielder Daniel Robertson. So now the tying runs at second with a full count on Zach Cozart. Eight to seven Indians, two down in the Reds' eighth. Peraza runs well, he's at second. Now the outfield really shortens up. The pitch, swung on line drive, base hit, right field. Up with it, Robertson, here comes Peraza. Throw the plate on a bounce, slide, tag, he is out at the plate! Daniel Robertson with a tremendous one-hop throw gets the speedy Peraza on a bang-bang play at the plate. Oh, what a play by Robertson. And the Indians stay on top 8-7 to seven as we go to the ninth. And in the ninth, Cody Allen nailed down the save. One and two the count. Cody Allen, he's ready. He checks second. He fires to the plate. Swing and a miss. Ball game. Got him with a curveball. Cody Allen strikes out Jeanette to end it. And the Indians survive here in Cincinnati, winning the final tonight by a score of 8-7. to seven. The next day, we had a chance to catch up with the Indians outfielder, Daniel Robertson, who had such a strong game Tuesday night down in Cincinnati, and he talked about the big win over the Reds and his contributions. You get done with a game like that, and can you look back on it and say, hey, that, that was a lot of fun, a win for the team, and, and you had an impact on that? Uh, yes and no. You know, yes, it's more important that we get the win. No, I, I really don't look back on it because... At the, end of the, at the end of the day, it's all a process to get to where we need to go. You know, we have one big, large goal going into spring training, and that's the focus. And the game last night's huge, um, but I'm just happy we went away and got the, got the win because personal goals or personal achievements aren't really, they're not really acceptable or, you know, I don't really care much about them unless I can look back at the end of the year hosting a trophy, and then maybe I can look back on May 23rd, which so happened to be my mom and dad's birthday, and say, hey, you know, that night was pretty fun, but, you know, tonight we got to where we wanted to go and we got to the ultimate goal. You're back in the major leagues, and what has made this time in the major leagues special for you, uh, maybe not comparing it to other times, but just this point in your career, what's made it special for you so far? You know, I'm still young. I'm only 31. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's all special. You, you know that. Being in the big leagues, uh, playing against the best in the world every single night, playing against guys that I watch on TV, uh, whether when I was younger or coming up in the minor leagues or been able to come up with the org- any uh, organization with. I think what makes it more special is this team This team wants to win a World Series. And I'm not saying any other team that I ever, ever wanted to play on didn't, but this team has one goal and one goal only, and it's to win night in and night out. They don't care who you are, where you come from, how tall, how big. You know, look at Miller. He's the tallest one. Max, the tallest one. I'm probably the shortest one. We come in all different shapes and sizes, and winning is the most important thing. And they don't care about anything else. They don't care about numbers. They don't care about analytics. If you help win, you're on the team. And it added up to the Indians being one run better than the Reds last night. Daniel Robertson, thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. So the Indians had earned a split of the two games in Cincinnati. Then the scene shifted to progressive field here in Cleveland, where on Wednesday the Reds handed Cody Allen 
his first blown save as the Reds win it in the ninth, 4-3, to three, a game that was delayed two hours due to rain midway through, and Cincinnati came back for the victory. Thursday, a total washout, a rainout, so that game will be made up later on in the summer. Then Friday, the Indians welcomed the Kansas City Royals, and once again, the Tribe jumped out to the early lead, led it at 4 nothing after three innings, but Kansas City battled back, scored six unanswered runs, and they took the opener of the series on Friday night by a final score of 6-4. to four. So that's your look at the week in review, a look at the week gone by for the Tribe. And when we come back, we will visit with Indian Spice President Bob DiBiasio a special day here on Saturday as the Indians honor one of the game's greats and certainly someone with historical significance to Cleveland, Frank Robinson. His statue unveiled on Saturday here at Progressive Field. We'll check in with Bobby D. after this on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland where there is another statue commemorating one of the greats in the game. It's in Heritage Park now as the Indians have unveiled a statue commemorating Frank Robinson, the first African-American manager in baseball history as uh, that happened back in 1975. And uh, certainly an historic day here, opening day in 1975, when Frank Robinson, as the player manager, not only managing his first game in what would turn out to be a very good managerial career in the major leagues, but he also hit a home run in his first at-bat as a player manager for the Indians. Frank Robinson, a Hall of Famer, outstanding career, mainly with the Cincinnati Reds and also the Baltimore Orioles. And then he went on to have a fine managerial career as well, and that started here in Cleveland. We had a chance to visit with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio, who always provides great perspective on historical significant events in Cleveland Indians history. And he says the honor for Frank Robinson was a long time in coming. Oh, absolutely. We've been working with Frank the uh, last couple of years, um, wanting to uh, honor him in this fashion. You know, that's a, a moment in history that, uh, you know, we need to commemorate and uh, do it in the right way. So we will put a life-size statue uh, right in the center of the rotunda on the top level of Heritage Park. And uh, we're also going to retire his uniform number 20 uh, on Saturday as well in a pregame ceremony. And so... Uh, He's very honored um, with both uh, the statue, obviously, and the retiring of his uniform. I think this is now the third team uh, where Frank's numbers retired, so that's a pretty cool thing for one of the greatest players to ever play. And, you know, at the end of uh, the 74 season, he was brought to Cleveland, only played 15 games for the Indians to add a little bit of a veteran presence to that ball club. And then in October... Uh, of 74. Uh, Phil Segge, the general manager, Ted Bonda, the president, uh, asked him to uh, uh, be the player manager in 1975. So on April 8th, he exchanged the lineup cards at uh, Cleveland Stadium, and that's what the statue will depict, is him holding the lineup card, exchanging the lineup card at home plate uh, the day that he became the first African-American manager in the history of baseball. The front office makes that decision to, to have him manage. And if you look back on it 20, 25 years later, you'd say, oh, what a great decision because he became a very good major league manager. But it, 
at that time they didn't know that, but it was more, I imagine, um, an opportunity for the Indians to, to break some ground there. And, and when Frank looks back on it, uh, have you had any conversations with him, this great career as a player and a good career as a manager too, but, but that point in time for him and the significance of it for not only him but what it meant to the game? Well, I think what it means for the game, Rosie, um, is inclusion. Um, obviously, Jackie Robinson in April of 1947 and Larry Doby in July of 1947 uh, break the barrier in the National League. Obviously, Jackie in all of Major League Baseball, but Larry Doby breaking the barrier, first African-American player in the history of the American League. Um, and then you have in our town, and not sure why Cleveland, maybe it's the melting pot spirit that is Cleveland, Ohio, that uh, 1968, Carl Stokes becomes the first African-American mayor of a major uh, city in America. Um, and then a few years later, Frank Robinson is named as the first African-American manager in the history of baseball. And again, I'm not sure why Cleveland plays a significant role um, each step of the way, but we do, and we're very proud of it. Um, and again, it might happen to to really just go back to that melting pot uh, spirit that uh, this town was built on. So it's opening day, 1975. In hindsight, what a great day. He hits a home run as the player-manager. What do you think was going through his mind, though, to to put himself in the lineup? That can't be easy for a player-manager to, to, to play himself too much or not enough, that type of thing. I mean, here's a great player. He put himself number two in the lineup, too. He hit number two. Frank wasn't typically a number two hitter in his career. You know, he was a middle of the lineup, three, four, or five guy. Um, but he puts himself in a DH uh, in the number two hole and hits a home run in that first at bat. Obviously, one of the m- most memorable homers in the history of our franchise for sure. Um, Rajah Davis would have something to say about that too, as we all would. Uh, a number of memorable uh, home runs in the history of this long tenured franchise, of course. Uh, but as the season wore on and seasons wore on, um, he didn't play as much and that he would pinch hit for himself if he had instituted himself as the DH in a game uh, and the game would move on. He felt somebody on the bench had a better chance um, to get a base hit or do something with that at bat than he, then he was quick to take himself out of the game and pinch hit for himself. And his answer was simple. He thought the other guy would have a better chance to produce than he. Um, So it didn't take long for him um, to realize that part of the, you know, not putting himself at every at-bat and think he's going to get 500 at-bats. He didn't get a whole lot of at-bats when he was player-manager. But in talking to guys like Rick Manning, who had the pleasure of playing for him, Rick was a rookie. Didn't come up until May, I think, of 75, so he wasn't there on opening day. Um, But uh, Frank was known as a tough guy. I mean, a real tough ball player. Hard-nosed, tough, uh, and he was, Archie said he was that way as a manager as well, which taught him how to play baseball the right way and the hard way. Hank Aaron is a part of this weekend. My goodness, one of the the (laughs) greatest home run hitters of all time. How did that come into play, and why is it significant that he's here? Well, we asked Frank, you know, who would you want? You know, we need to invite who you want to be here to help celebrate this wonderful moment in history 
and one of the first names he he uttered was Hank Aaron because they were buddies. I guess he and Hank had this little battle, um, you know, trying to outdo each other on the baseball diamond. Um, tremendous friends, obviously, uh, but also had that competitive spirit, that hard-nosed drive of who's better. Uh, obviously, you had one that was a 500 home run club member in, in Frank, and then obviously, you know, Hammer and Hank in the 700 club, <laughs> a home run club. Uh, but they're friends, longtime friends. Um, they were competitors, and uh, he was one of the first names that uh, Frank brought up to uh, be a part of this weekend. And we're, we're overjoyed that uh, uh, Henry can make it uh, simply because his mobility uh, isn't quite there. He's in a wheelchair, can't get around um, very well. But, uh, you know, we're going to work to make sure he's part of the, the ceremony and he'll say a few words during the ceremony on Saturday. Great stuff, Bobby D. Thanks. Thank you, Rosie. Always a treat. That's Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. And uh, next week we hope to have a, a full recap of the activities that took place on Saturday at Progressive Field. Not only Frank Robinson here to uh, be commemorated with the statue, his number also retired, and Hank Aaron was a part of the activities as well. So a great, great day at Progressive Field on Saturday. Stay with us. We'll stay on the, the memorabilia historical front when we return after this as Tribe Talk continues on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Earlier this week, the Indians were in Cincinnati to take on the Reds, and when we were there, we had a chance to visit the Green Diamond Gallery it is an outstanding collection of baseball memorabilia. In fact, it's the second largest collection outside of the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. The owner and curator is Bob Crotty, who's been at it a long, long time, obviously, to get the collection that he has in uh, just a smaller building in Montgomery, Ohio, just outside Cincinnati. But you could get lost in there for hours. And when we had a chance to visit with Bob Crotty, he talked about when his collection began and the impetus to get it started. Well, Jim, I, I guess it really started, uh, I'm going to give away my age right now, <laughs> but I uh, was when I first went to a, a ball game with my dad and brothers at Crosley Field, um, walking into the Crosley Field at the, uh, for the first time, seeing the whole environment the players in uniform up close, the green grass. You, you hear this a lot from a lot of fans that get the bug. It's from their first experience of when they go to a ball game and everything around in this, the atmosphere and the surroundings really will, will, will really grab you. And that's what happened to me. And on the way out, I noticed the souvenir stand. So I kind of nudged my dad and said, can I get a souvenir? And he said yes, and maybe he should have said no, but that's how it all started. And it really started with me collecting trinkets, artifacts, souvenirs from way back. And it, it just kept growing. Uh, I collected autographs and photos and bats and things of the like through my old childhood and adult years and, and throughout my professional career and so it's just something that just grew over time and were baseball cards a, a big part of that and cards weren't as much i would collect like complete sets of tops you know back in 
you know, when I first started collecting was probably back in the early 70s. Um, so most of the value in baseball cards go away or is really predates the 70s. So I had full sets, but that's not where my real interest lied. It was more in the autographs, the photos, um, and then it grew into game use material, art, and, and, and publications of the like. So you start to collect all this. When does the, the idea come about to, to get a space, a building space? And it, it is so wonderfully organized here in, in uh, different sections. When did that come into play for you? Uh, it outgrew the basement. Uh, the, collecting, the collections outgrew the home. So at that point, I was kind of faced with a decision, either get rid of the stuff or do something with it. So came up with a kind of a, an idea like, hey, I want to share this in some capacity with the public. So decided to get some commercial space, got a design build team, and we sat down and designed the space, laid it all out, and put everything together. And we have a, a, a venue now that's rented out, and we have a private club. And the private club is what they're really getting. The venue attracts them, but what they're really signing up for is a year subscription for our programming. We have a program uh, every month, typically on the second or third Thursday of the month, where we bring in a notable from the game, which includes Cooperstown Hall of Famers, for meet and greets and Q&A and whatnot. So it's a great fellowship. You have to have some favorites in terms of, of memorabilia. I would think. Uh, do, do you have a, a top three, a top five, something along those lines that uh, you're just so proud of and, and you really want to make sure people see before they leave here? Yeah, Jim. Uh, it's, I would say, uh, first of all, my favorite player of all time is Lou Gehrig for what he represent represented on the field and off the field. Uh, we're proud to display a 1938 Lou Gehrig home jersey here. We have a Jackie Robinson 1948 road jersey here. There's not too many of those in existence. But as far as a personal artifact um, that's near and dear to me would be our artist cast of the three statues that uh, reside in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame lobby. There's life-size statues up there of Jackie Robinson, Lou Gehrig, and Roberto Clemente. The uh, artists that uh, produced those statues did um, one of one, we call artist casts, that are about a foot and a half tall. So they're one of ones, but uh, when we donated those, uh, that gift to Cooperstown, I was lucky enough to get those, those uh, artist casts. Bob, thanks so much for opening up your gallery for us. Uh, a lot of folks from the Indians here today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jim, and go, go Tribe. That's Bob Crotty, who uh, has done wonderful work with the Green Diamond Gallery just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. What a great place if you are a baseball fan. Highly recommended if you can stop in there at some point in time. Stay with us when we come back. It's the Weekly Farm Report. That's next as Tribe Talk concludes on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland, our final segment. And as always, we visit with James Harris, the Indians' Director of Player Development, the Weekly Farm Report. And this week, James was on the road. He headed to Goodyear, Arizona to check in on extended spring training. And if you're wondering, what is extended spring training? Well, the Indians have the four full-season minor league clubs that begin in April, shortly after opening day for the major league club. But they still have plenty of players who 
don't make those clubs because of where they are in their pro careers, which is in the very early stages. So they stay in Goodyear for extended spring training, and then they'll get playing in regular season games when the short season clubs begin, like Mahoning Valley in the New York Penn League and also the Arizona Summer League. So we talked to James about just how different things are out in Goodyear at extended spring training compared to what we see throughout mid-February and on through March at regular spring training. Well, these are younger players. Uh, some of our players are, are 17 years old up to about 21, 22 years old. So there needs to be some extra work on fundamentals. So there is some time there. We play games somewhere between 10 and 10.30 every day. But we're bringing them in and getting, getting work on those fundamentals because, I mean, that's what, that's what they need to develop at a young age. And a common theme of uh, things that, that we talk about a lot is preparation. And how much instruction is there on, on preparation in every area, be it nutrition, taking care of yourself, things like that, that, that you go through with these kids? You know, with a lot of them, just last year they were living in their parents' homes. So there's a lot of preparation on what it's like to be a professional, what it's like to show up every day. Um, it's not just baseball. It's a lot. So these guys have to, to do their own laundry when, when they get home, or, and, and there's not mom telling them to clean their room or get out of bed. They're, they're learning how to be men as well as professional baseball players. And nutrition, what, what do you do along those lines to make sure these, they're growing kids, right? You want them to grow, you know, obviously in the big leaguers. Uh, what are you doing there? Well, anyone who has kids know that, that they eat, and, and especially professional baseball players, so 17 years old, old and up, um, we go through a lot of food, but we're trying to get them fresh fruits and vegetables. We're trying to get them some good protein and some good carbs every day. So that's that's a couple meals a day at our facility, and then they, they eat a meal on their own. But, um, yeah, it's, it's tough feeding these guys, but we got to make sure that we're, we're getting them in, in the nutrients they need to grow and then making sure they're getting to bed to recover and do it all over again. And strength and conditioning is such a big key. Uh, we've seen players here, Mike Clevenger in particular, Tyler Naquin, who uh, just felt that the – the winter program strength and conditioning was tremendous. How much of that can you do with the games every day and then also the, the extra fundamentals? Is that still a big part of the equation? Definitely. Uh, it's built into their, their weekly schedule. So they're getting lift at least two weeks a lift, two lifts a week. And we have an outstanding staff there that, I mean, they're, they're dialing it into each player and making sure that every guy's getting what they need to be able to compete as well as develop. So some guys need to gain weight, lose weight, get stronger. That needs to happen, and they have to get better at baseball. So it's it's a challenge for them, but we have a great staff that's helping them along the way. And, again, we were talking about youngsters in their, their first year of pro ball, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, but 17, 18 years of age. And we're visiting with James Harris, Indians Director of Player Development, on to some specific players who are out there. Uh, last year's number one draft choice for the Indians, Will Benson. Uh, how's he coming along as a, a high school drafted uh, position player? What are some of the challenges he's facing, and, and what's his progress? Well, the main challenge is he's 18 years old. And this time last year, he was living at home. So he's very mature, came in like a grown man, and taking care of his business, coming in, working hard every day. He's a big guy, 235 pounds. Uh, he's over 6'3". Six th- six um, he's, he's a big guy, and adjusting that big body to a, a professional schedule every day and then being able to go out and, and compete is, is what he's done. But that's, that could, the challenge is consistently, consistency like it is with everybody. And an, another name from last year's draft is Nolan Jones, uh, a shortstop in, in high school primarily, and a position switch for him. Uh, where do you have him now, and how's his progress? Also a, a big guy. Uh, played shortstop in high school, and 
and was great there and, and athletic in high school. We think he's going to be more of a third baseman, at least for now. He's made that adjustment and made it well, and he's learning the nuances of a new position. So he's doing that at 19 years old and another kid who was last year in his, in his parents' home, and now he's an adult this year coming in and, and putting in work. And, and him and Will are, are, are good friends. They challenge each other, and that's great for, for them as individuals and great for us as a program. Pitching-wise, I know you've moved some pitchers from extended spring into full-season clubs. It's just the nature of the beast in terms of pitching um, and attrition. But uh, you're mentioning Tanaj, yeah. Tanaj Thomas, 17 years of age out of the Bahamas. Uh, what's intriguing about this young man? What's great about him is that until you look and see that he's 17 years old, years old you would never know. He has a maturity both physically as well as his mindset where he comes in and he, he fits in with everyone else. So he's going, going to compete in the Dominican Summer League uh, this this year and hoping to get him back to Arizona and maybe even to a short-season club. I mean, the, the sky's the limit for him to see see where he's going to be, but he's definitely one that's that's a, a, a high riser at this point. Just a couple of the names that uh, we can keep an eye on for several years. They are starting at uh, the very bottom of the Indians' farm system, but some great foundations being put down. And, uh, James, as always, thanks for coming by. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's fun to talk about the young guys. That's James Harris, the Indians' director of player development. And that'll do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Great to have you with us, as always. Join us next week when we'll come to you from Kansas City, the Indians' On a road swing next week that takes them to Kansas City and Colorado. They'll literally play for the Tribe next week. So until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. We're headed to the top. We're on the warpath. It's spreading far and wide. We're talking baseball. Talking Tribe.